If you would, please, open your Bibles to 1 John. going to go to chapter 2 one more time, verses 9 through 11, verses 9 through 11 of chapter 2. Would you please stand with me and let's hear the word of God together. Verse 9, the word of God. He that saith, he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Amen. O Christ, blessed Christ, bless thy people. In thy name I ask, amen. Please be seated. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How we praise and thank God that he loved us so. But God intends his great love, which was manifested in Christ Jesus, to shine forth in the lives of Christ's people by their love for one another. Love for Christ and love for his people are inseparable in God's eternal purpose. And it should be inseparable in our hearts. Now our text plainly reveals that hating one's brother is evidence that a professing believer is walking in darkness. Loving one's brother is evidence that a professing believer is walking in the light and a true convert of Christ. The professing believer that hates his brother is still in darkness, walks lives in darkness and does not know where he is going because he is spiritually blind. Now we've spent five messages considering loving one another as it is expressed in the word of God. And the title of our message this evening is Loving or Hating Christ's People, 
part six. And may the holy love of God that is shown to us in Christ Jesus shine forth in us. Brethren, in this new year, let us not be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word, not deceiving ourselves. May the love that God has shown us in Christ shine forth in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let us consider, as I said several weeks ago when we stopped our series, <clears throat> we're just going to consider one application. Of course, there could be weeks of application on this subject. But we're just going to look at one simple uh, application in this idea of loving one another or hating one another. You may think this is an unusual choice, uh, but in, in essence, it is something all of us face all the time. And I trust that we will hear and apply accordingly. <clears throat> so the one application is this. Lying is an act of hatred. Telling the truth is an act of love. So the first thing I want to consider in this application is the origin and the damnation of lying. We live in a culture that lives on lies, tells lies, loves lies. <clears throat> but no one thinks they're being damned because of the lies they're telling. Humanity fell into the horrors of sin through the serpent's lie to Eve. Wasn't adultery, wasn't murder, wasn't covetousness. It was a lie. <clears throat> and all of those other violations of God's law followed upon it. The serpent lied, ye shall not surely die. Lying, therefore, is a deadly act because God told Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. They died spiritually while the fruit juice was going down their throats. And they died later on physically. God told the truth, which was an act of love. He did what he said he was going to do, which is an act of love. Satan told an, uh, a lie, which was a deadly hatred. So, lying at any time <clears throat> is a deadly act. And Jesus, referring to the devil in the garden, said he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, of his own character, of his own nature. That's why he is a lie. Jesus said, because there is no truth in him. 
when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. That's a very important word. Father of lying. John Bunyan wrote in his book, The Life and Death of Mr. Badman, quote, a lie is begot by the devil as the father and is brought forth by the wicked heart as the mother. When, you, when we lie, we're doing Satan's work. Lying, therefore, is a deadly, devilish act. Proverbs 26, 28 declares, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. I don't think many people think they're hating when they lie. But you hate the person that you're lying to. We are the image bearers of God. He is the truth. And it is our responsibility to traffic in truth always, at all times. I don't think many realize that lying is damaging to themselves. <clears throat> But I certainly know that they don't care about the people they're lying to. Listen, children, you especially need to get this. When you lie, you hate the person that you're lying to. In that moment, you might love them, you think, at other times. But the minute you open your mouth in a lie to your friends, to your siblings, to your parents, to anybody else, you hate them with that tongue. Because it's deadly and because it's devilish. Lying afflicts those who hear it, especially when they believe it. Lying then is deadly, devilish, and damaging. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 declares, but the fearful and unbelieving, fearful there means cowardly, <clears throat> the cowardly and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, listen carefully, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Lying then is a deadly, devilish, damaging, and damnable act. For those and other reasons, the Apostle Paul exhorted the Ephesians, wherefore, putting away lying, Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Now, there it is, right there in front of us. So then, 
to lie to someone is to hate him or her <clears throat> and to put away lying and to speak the truth is to love God and to love his people. We should always be about truth, always. That means we also, as we'll see, have to learn how to discern and to verify what people are telling us. Lies not only distort reality, lies destroy someone's world. You make them live in fiction when you tell them an untruth because it's not true, it's not real, it's fiction, it's fantasy, it's delusion, but it's not true. You damage somebody's worldview by telling them something is a particular way and they believe it and it turns out to be a lie. We live on what we believe and we believe people. There are some people we don't believe at all. There are some that have our confidence. But even those that we know and love and who often are attempting to tell us the truth, tell us a lie without realizing it. Many of us have a very small view of lying. A very small view, first of all, of the penalty that comes with it. And hell is the way of lying. <clears throat> but we need to understand that there are many ways that we can lie. That's where we foul up. You can lie with your mouth, purposefully telling someone something that you know is not true, but you're telling it either for your own advantage or for their advantage. But then you can pass on information that is not true. And you're probably passing on that information for a good reason. But when it's not verified, you're lying. And you are therefore distorting the other person's life. Because they'll quite likely act on what you've said. Even worse, they may repeat it to 15 people. And so they've become serial liars, thinking that they're telling the truth. This is a serious matter. But you can not only lie with your lips, your tongue, you can lie with your life. You can say, I love Jesus, and I'm a Christian, and I'm on the way to heaven. But then you live like the world, and you are a liar. A liar. And heaven will not be your final resting place unless you repent. We take God's name in vain when we say we're Christians, but we're really longing to have the fun of the world. You're lying. Christians... I'm not saying that we're not tempted. Of course we're tempted. Tempted every day. There's a difference between the enemy coming and whispering in your ear and you sitting and longing for the world. 
And that's taking Christ's name in vain. Christ, Christ did everything his father commanded him to. Joyfully, he even went to the cross. Oh, friends, we can lie in more ways than I have time to preach tonight. So, with those things in mind, we want to be people who put away lying and speak every man truth to his neighbor. So I want us to consider just one commandment of God and the many ways we can violate it. And I'm not going to be able to give comment on all of the ways we can do it. I'm going to list them. It would be a series in itself to trace out all these ways of lying. If we were going to be thorough and say what we could about those things. <clears throat> so we want to consider this evening the Westminster Catechism on the Ninth Commandment, which says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Most of us think of lying as simply purposefully telling an untruth. That's just one of many. It's the most obvious. It is the one that we all hate to find out when someone has lied to us. And I, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would be interested, uh, it would be interesting for all of us to know how it felt when we discovered that someone had been lying to us. Someone that we'd taken into our confidence. Someone who would rather lie than breathe and could spin a great story. If you've ever had that experience, you, you find it's extremely painful. I will illustrate it. When the Lord first saved Myra and me, I was speaking in numerous churches at that time, and I had been asked to come and give some teaching regarding the cults and the occult at a particular church. And I went, and a young woman came up to Myra and me, and we, we knew her vaguely. I had known her uh, because when I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana, going to my mother's church, her father and their family were members of that congregation. So I knew who she was the minute she walked up. And she said, I've gotten myself in so much trouble. And she broke down in front of us and the tears began to flow. And she says, I've gotten, I've fallen in with some bad people and I want to get out. I want to get out. Will you help me get out? We said, sure. Um, what, what, what can we do? Can I just hide at your place for a little while until they stop looking for me? We had children. That was not an easy decision to make. We said, well, yeah. I know your dad. I know uh, by that time he had become a pastor himself. I said, what, what's your dad know about all this? He doesn't know anything. I've hidden it for years, et cetera, et cetera. We brought her to our house, 
And a very long and arduous story brought short. One night as I was talking with her about her soul, because she wanted to be away from what she'd fallen into, I said, you've been brought up by a man as a pastor. You, you know the truth. You, you could tell me the gospel. But do you understand it? Do you understand what God does in Christ Jesus, what he did in Christ Jesus, and what he sets before you in the gospel? And I took out the scriptures and I started reading Romans 2, or I carried her through Romans chapter 3, explaining how wicked we were, truly were, and uh, the glories of Christ as our propitiation, the one who turned away the wrath of God. I was pouring out my heart to her, and her eyes brimmed up with tears, and she, she started crying. Myra got the box of tissue. We sat there with her. She said, I've heard this, a lot of this stuff all my life, but I've never really understood it. I praise the Lord. I, he saved me. It was all an act. I found out later that she did that several places where she went. She could have won uh, an Oscar because I had never seen anybody so radiant afterwards, so happy, joyful, playing with our children. And then she robbed us and disappeared. It was a crushing blow for a lot of reasons, especially as a father having brought her into the house with my children. We had hoped. And the Lord knew exactly why we were doing what we were doing. But the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> she faked the best conversion before me I've ever seen. It was just amazing. It was all a lie. We lived in fear that the people hunting her might find our house. It was all fiction. It was all fiction. But it distorted our world. It deformed our lives for a while. And it gave us a completely false notion of what was real and not real. Young people, Satan knows that you are vulnerable and gullible. And that I urge you with all of my heart to make sure you saturate your mind and heart with God's truth and prove all things hold fast to that which is good. Don't just be drawn into somebody because there seems to be something attractive. It's good to be skeptical until they give some clear evidence of walking faithfully with Christ. Everybody looks good until trouble arises. <clears throat> so, that being said, uh, my wife and I have certainly been the objects of lies hurled at us by the enemy. We've believed some of them. Thankfully, the Lord has helped us award some of them off. But he's been at this a long time. You haven't. And your discernment and resistance are probably not where they ought to be. I urge you with all of my heart. Get in the truth. Stay in the truth. Now, let's talk about the ninth commandment. 
What are the duties required in the ninth commandment? I want you to listen carefully. This is from the Westminster Larger Catechism. It's a very helpful document. If you don't have it, it might be worth looking for a copy. It's good for studying. Listen to the answer. What are the duties required in the ninth commandment? The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own. I'll repeat that. It's preserving. This is an active thing. It is preserving and promoting of truth between man and man, between people. We're to promote truth, traffic in truth. Not only are we to preserve and promote the truth, but the good name of our neighbor. Now, how many of us do that? How many of us are protective and actively working to preserve the reputation of others and their good name? Or when someone says, uh, do you know that brother so-and-so, do you know that sister so-and-so believes or this or that? Do you give ear to it? Or do you stand up and say, why are you telling me this? Why are you telling me this? We are to preserve and promote truth. And that means we need to be sure of the story we're telling. Who told it to us? Why did they tell it? And why do I think it's worth passing on? Is that going to build this person up? Is that going to encourage this person? Is it going to promote their good name? As well as our own. It's not a happy thing to be known as a liar. If you've watched the news, you've sooner or later heard someone say, or maybe just in talking with neighbors, you know, <clears throat> if so-and-so's mouth moving, he's lying. That's a common saying in politics. If his mouth is moving, he's lying. Well, what about us? Do people look at us behind our backs and say, always telling the truth, always. I never... I'd like to doubt everything they say, but they're just always telling the truth. I can, I can see it. They prove it. They show it. Their lives mean it. We're here to promote truth, y'all. Rumors and gossip in congregation is demonic poison. Rumors and gossip is demonic poison. It is guaranteed to accomplish one thing, division. <clears throat> well, we're not only to promote the truth, but it says appearing and standing for the truth and from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice. And I love this. And in all other things whatsoever. 
When it comes down to having to make judgments about people and their character, who they are, what they say, what they do, or what you're told they say and do. We're to, sure to, we're to be sure that we know the truth before we open our mouths in the conversation. And not just hear what somebody else says, and then we just mindlessly pass it on to someone else. Truth is precious. Truth is pure. And love, desiring truth, and wanting to promote truth, and wanting to build up God's people, means that we have to be thinking about what we hear and what we say to others about others. <clears throat> By the way, <clears throat> uh, every one of these phrases, and at some places, every single word has one or more Bible references. That's why it's marvelous for studying. It will give you some idea of where are they getting all of this? The Bible. It isn't just the act of saying, did you do that? Uh, no, when you did it. Now, that's obvious, but there's far more, far more to the issue. And we need to be thinking about that in this year ahead. <clears throat> it also means a charitable esteem of our neighbors. In other, in other words, not just believing the first negative thing we hear about them. A charitable esteem of our neighbors. Now, your reputation often goes before you. <clears throat> but what we should be doing according to this commandment is having a charitable esteem of our neighbors loving desiring and rejoicing in their good name because if we're not doing that if we're pulling it down we're violating this commandment because the commandment is about truth. Truth in all of its immensity, in all of its facets. Let me ask you, I have to ask myself all these things as I'm putting these messages together. I have to say to myself, do I love and desire and rejoice in the good name of others? And do I want to protect that? Or am I ready to go, ah, yeah, I knew it. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And I've said this before. You'll hear several things tonight that you've heard before. The fact of, rather, the, fact of the matter is that if you're put out with somebody for any reason, big or little, you'll believe just about anything anybody tells you about their badness. You have a filter in there that will keep you from looking on the better side of things. This is why love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. <clears throat> it goes on to say, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities. What? What? 
sorrowing for their infirmities, their weaknesses, those things you see in them that you don't like and that rub you the wrong way. Do you sorrow for that? Or do you just avoid them? Do you sorrow when you see sin and weakness in others? Because they can sure see it in you whether you realize that or not. It isn't long before our strengths and weaknesses stand up in front of others. But do we grieve about others? Remember, our definition of love was self-denying, self-sacrificing, others-oriented. That others-oriented act of treating other people according to the word of God. For their benefit, their benefit, their benefit. <clears throat> well, when I read through all of these, it's just like running through the briar patch. Sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities. I'm not here to talk about brother so-and-so's problem. I'll pray with him. I'll pray for him. I don't need to sit and talk with you about it. Now, I'm not saying there are not situations where it's important for other people to know what's happening. But I'm talking about the general attitude that we should have. The general attitude that we should have about others. We should want everyone that names the name of Christ to have a high and pure name and a reputation that magnifies Christ. So that means we should be praying for them. We should be encouraging and building them up, not just hanging with our two or three big friends. This is about building, not stagnating. This is about building. Not being inert. I mean, we're being called to very active thinking and doing here, are we not? I'm astonished that their depth of, of understanding and knowledge of the scriptures takes them to passages. When you first read them, you would immediately connect this to the ninth commandment. But if when you begin to see what's happening in the narrative that's being set before you or the commandment that's being set before you, you begin to realize this had something to do with the matter of truth. Listen, covering their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces. Well, we know he's kind of weak here and kind of weak there. She's kind of got this kind of uh, issue. But that man, that woman, Loves the Lord. I've prayed with them many times. We've read the scriptures together. We've fellowshiped in the afternoons and had wonderful times of, of laughter and joy and sorrows and carrying one another's burdens in the name of the Lord Jesus. Yeah. Everybody in this room, I'm looking, I'm looking at a package of infirmities here. And you are gazing at one standing in front of you that's filled with infirmities. Now, <clears throat> do you want to exploit and laugh, enjoy, and talk to other people about my infirmities? Or is it your desire to say, yeah, I know he's got some issues. So do we all. 
we need to cover. I'm not saying letting somebody getting away with continual unrepentant sinning. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about those character flaws that everybody in here has. Isn't it amazing that your radar is so tuned to everybody else's and not yours? Hmm. Let's just, this is astounding. Now it says, so then freely acknowledging their gifts and their graces, defending their innocence, already receiving of a good report. And after a while, when somebody's on the bad side of your radar, you can't hear anything good about them. And when, when somebody says something good about them, you might half-heartedly agree with it or in your heart just say, I don't believe that. That's probably just a yes man covering for him or her. Yeah. They understood human nature and they understood the scriptures. And it goes so far as to say an unwillingness to admit of an evil, evil report. There's some of us that just, we wouldn't want to get up in front of everybody and say, you know what, I really love it when someone tells me about how somebody else has fallen. But there are people that do. Makes them feel better. Especially if they didn't like the person in the first place. Human nature in itself is foul. Defiled. Worthy of hell. And that's why I'm so glad there's a savior. He saves liars. <clears throat> But you see, if we're going to love one another, we need to be concerned about the very things that we're talking about here. We're hating people if we're not actively seeking these things, but we're loving them when we are. Does that make sense? This is as practical as it gets. Ready to receive a good report, unwilling to admit to an evil report until there is just evidence. And then what do we do? Love them, reprove them, call them back to Christ or reprove them and say, you know, stop doing that. The Lord has commanded us not to walk in those ways. Well, it goes on to say, discouraging talebearers. When people come to us with a juicy tidbit, not biting it and swallowing it down, but telling them, I don't want to hear this. Why don't we talk about something better? Churches would be much healthier if everybody took that seriously. Why are you coming to me to tell me what you don't like about her or him? Why don't we pray for them? That's a good way to, to stop a tailbearer. Let's just stop right there. Let's drop on our knees and let's pray for that person. And let's pray that we don't follow in the same way. And let's pray that the Lord will have mercy on us and our weaknesses. <clears throat> Discouraging tailbearers, flatterers. I won't bring up any names right now, but I used to know a man who has uh, fallen from a very high place of esteem who ministered for many years, and he was the most astonishing flatterer I ever met. And when I met him, I didn't want to admit it to myself. 
because I really liked him. But he was a flatterer. And I, as I began to actually understand it, and it was clear, I even talked with him about it. It was just part of what sank him because it was false. But flatterers are always ingratiating people to themselves for a particular reason. So they'll say things that they don't mean. Or they might mean it, but they'll exaggerate it. And it's like, we don't need that. Flatterers and slanderers. There's always somebody ready to go after you just because someone likes you. Love and care for our own good name and defending it when need requireth. There are times not to defend yourself. There are times to defend yourself. Even Christ did. There were times when he didn't even acknowledge what was being said about him. And there were times when he said, are you going to stone me because of this? How about this? The scripture says, <clears throat> keeping of lawful promises. When you promise somebody something and then you don't do it, You've become a liar. Now, you probably were not intending to deceive. I've told people certain things here. I'll be glad to do this. Here's one that some of us, maybe all of us have done at some time. Someone will say, pray for me about this. And you say, yes, brother, yes, sister, I'll do that. And then you completely forget and don't. And then later on, they come back and thank you for praying for them. That one sticks. Because then it's really hard to say, well, I didn't. No, but keeping of lawful promises. There are some things you promise people. You should say, I, I shouldn't have done that, and I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> if it's sinful. But we should keep any lawful promise. Studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. The more we fill ourselves with what is right and righteous, pure and holy, we get a better and more distinctive sense of what is true and pure and holy and what is filthy. Now, that's just what that law requires. That's not the laws that violate it. That's the next part. The laws that violate, I mean, the sins that violate that law. <clears throat> this is question 145. We've just left question 144. What are the sins forbidden in the ninth, ninth commandment? The first time I read this, I was truly stunned. Because I didn't fancy myself too much of a liar. And then I began to realize, oh, there's so many ways to lie. Very often, some of our worst lies are not something that we planned or purposed to deceive anybody with. So, the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment are all prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors as well as our own. 
prejudicing the truth. What, what does that mean? I had to do a little looking and sifting to find that out. And then I looked up the uh, references and I began to see the picture. But the idea is we, we see it in, in David, King David, before he was king. His father said, uh, your brothers are down there with this uh, uh, war that's going on. And uh, <clears throat> I want you to go down and check on him. So dad sent him. He had gone home to, to, to watch over the sheep, which is what his work was. Well, he gets down there. Uh, he's asking questions because there's, there's this giant Goliath out there. There's an extraordinary standoff, this huge army on one side, uh, Israel on the other side, King Saul sitting and all of them thinking, what are we going to do? And uh, his big brother sees him. That sounds like a big brother, right? I know why you're here. You've come down here because you want to see what's going on. Right? Brothers and sisters do that, right? I know what you're I know what you're doing. Well, sometimes you do, but sometimes you miss it by light years, right? Sometimes you're totally wrong. The idea of prejudicing the truth actually is, is multifaceted, that one of those ideas is you look at someone and you determine. You look at them and you know what they're all about. Now, there is such a thing as discernment, and some people have a lot more discernment than others, and you can pick up a whole lot of things about people before it's over. You know, I mean, they're just some people that read other people very well. But even then, there are people that don't and can't do it perfectly. I know what's going on. I know what they're doing. I've been around them. I know what they're doing. And then you find out a facet of the story that you didn't know. And it changes the entire picture for that event. Right? So... You're sure you have the truth, and yet your prejudices and the way you think has twisted the scenario. I imagine all of us have done this. Parents do it. All right, this is 147th time this morning. I know what you're doing. It's over now. And that's the one time they weren't doing it. But it looked like it. The child is, they're crying. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Of course, a lot of times they're going to say that anyway. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes they honestly tell you exactly what happened and you have trouble believing them because you know them. Every human being, no matter how easy they are to read, still has some mystery about them because they're made in the image of God. There are some people that you can read pretty well, but you better be careful about the decisions that you make if you don't know what's happening in that, that event. <clears throat> Prejudicing the truth, especially in public, oh, and it says, uh, especially in public judicature, that means in court. You need to make sure when you're doing justice that you're actually doing justice, that you know enough of what happened to make a right decision. I have been in major decision-making situations 
in the last few years, and there were times when it's like, okay, I've gathered, I think, all that I can know, and I'm going to have to make a decision. And right at the last moment, the Lord brings in someone who says, oh, yeah, this, that, and the other. And it's like, why didn't you tell me that? That changes the whole picture. Those kind of things happen. Be careful before you have judged and condemned someone. Make sure you know to the best of your ability, because we're going to give account for this. God is just in all his judging. He wants us to be the same. That means we've got to look to him, we've got to know his word, and we've got to apply it well. Other than that, we're breaking this commandment. We're sinners. We, if, if we don't give a brother a benefit of a doubt when it's reasonable, I understand there are times when you've, you've worked everything out. I mean, you've, you've, you've had so many problems. That you, it's like when Peter said, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? Seven times 70. Oh. What, what's he saying? You need to give people a lot of room. Unless you've become omniscient. Now, sometimes you, keep some, you catch somebody in a ball-faced lie. You know it's a ball-faced lie. You don't have to be too concerned about that. But I'm talking about, and, and the older you young people get, the more you're going to find com situations become complex. And knowing how to make a decision when you don't know all the facts is a very difficult thing. But God intends for us to be righteous in those matters. Go a little faster here. Um, giving false evidence. That certainly breaks, <laughs> that certainly breaks uh, the ninth commandment. It's, it's quite obvious. Uh, a situation comes up. You've had a wreck. You tell the policeman, uh, they crossed the line and hit me. And that wasn't the way it happened. And, uh, people do this kind of thing. You know, and uh, Christians in, in tight situations can lie and later come back to you and say, brother, I'm sorry, I lied to you. Some very sweet moments uh, that I've had here over the years was when a brother came and said, you know, I told you this. I'm sorry, that was, that was a lie. It's just a lie. There can be some very wonderful reconciliation when people just admit what they are and what they've done. <clears throat> well, suborning false witnesses. What does that mean? <laughs> suborning means to bribe or persuade somebody not to tell the truth in a situation where a judgment takes place. All right. <clears throat> we know a number of places like that in the scriptures. Again, th these are all uh, wonderful scriptures here, uh, filled with scriptures. Uh, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause. Knowingly pleading for something that you know is a wrong cause. Jezebel wanted to get Naboth's vineyard for her pouting husband. So, she knew what she was doing, but she set up the whole thing so that the man was put to death according to the law of God. But the whole situation was a lie. How about that? It says, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing 
and overbearing the truth. Outfacing means defiantly contradicting something. In other words, we might put it this way, getting up in somebody's face and making sure that we power them down. No, I told you already this is the way it is. <clears throat> you emotionally beat them up so that they agree with you. That violates this, this very command. Husbands do this to their wives sometimes. Parents do this to their children sometimes. Church members, uh, elders can do this to members because we're all made of the same stuff. We need the glorious work of God in our hearts to overcome these things and to learn how to walk in truth, to tell the truth, to reject that which we don't know, which we can't prove. <clears throat> overbearing, forcefully emotioning, uh, forcefully uh, working on people's emotions. So um, it also says passing unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the work of righteousness and righteousness according to the work of the wicked. Somebody's done something good, but we don't particularly like them. We overlook that. Treat them like they were one of the bad guys. Somebody over here is not a good guy, but we praise him because he's our buddy. There's so many ways this can be done, but that's a form of lying because it's twisting and deforming and destroying truth. Wickedness should always be called wickedness and dealt with as wickedness. And the way to respond when you're the wicked one is to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to look to him for his grace and his mercy and his love as he washes us clean and gets us up so that we can get back into the walk. But when we let any of these kind of things slip into our lives, they can be the very kind of gnawing cancer that leads us into backsliding, maybe even apostasy. Forgery, well, we all, that's pretty easy, right? <laughs> Forgery is just another way of lying. Concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause. Now, that kind of situation does happen to us. We have to think about it. Sometimes somebody does something right in front of us or says something right in front of us and we're, we're stunned by it and we don't do anything. Now, if the person is a professing Christian, we have a responsibility in love to say, brother, sister, it's not honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ for you to talk about someone like that. We can get mighty quiet when people sin in front of us. Now, there are different situations. I understand that. <clears throat> uh, especially, uh, you may be dealing with someone who's clearly under the influence of drugs or alcohol. At that time, the main thing is to get the police there as quickly as possible. 
But I can tell you there were times when I was witnessing outside the gates at LSU uh, back in Baton Rouge where there would be people that would come out of the bars and often loopy. One of them picked me up and got me in a headlock one night. He was a former soldier. And I thought, well, this may be the night I don't go home. At least I may go home modified. And he sat down, and I sat next to him. And I said, could I talk with you about your soul? Why? He said, Rich, you need the Lord. Look, look, at, look, at, look at the shape you're in, man. You need the Lord Jesus. He would receive you if you repent of your sins. There's other times when you just let them rage on because they're uncontrollable. We're not talking about that. We're talking about in a situation where you're with believers and someone says and does something that is clearly crossing the line into sin. It is a loving thing to say, could I talk with you for a minute? <laughs> or could, could I just say, have you thought about what you just said? This contradicts the scriptures. Holding our peace when iniquity calleth for reproof from us. Well, <clears throat> or complaint to others, speaking the truth unseasonably. What? We're supposed to be speaking the truth, right. But we can mishandle the truth and say it in a wrong way and do it with the wrong attitude and do much damage. At that point, our attitude it has made God's truth like a lie. People don't want anything to do with us. Oh, brethren, parents have to watch out for that. You're teaching your children. You want them to come to Christ. And yet, if you do things at home where you use the truth unseasonably, I mean, unfortunately, it seems like there are some men, I've, I've worked for a long time in family reform, it seems like they know one verse in the Bible. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. It's like the only verse in the Bible. And they can use it in ways where it becomes like a jackhammer or a blow to the head, a crushing of the heart, rather than the love and authority given by God for your wife's good. Doesn't mean they don't need correction at times. I'm not talking about proper and wisely uh, applied correction. But <clears throat> speaking the truth unseasonably twists God's truth. It's a form of lying. Or maliciously to a wrong end. There's a good example, right? How about Judas who had the bag? We could have sold this and made money on this and given it to the poor. He didn't want it for the poor. He wanted it for him, right? It was the truth. Jesus did all kinds of things for the poor. But there was a malicious intent in that talk. And boy, it happens. Most church splits have a lot of this involved with it. 
They'll use scriptures completely out of context for a malicious purpose or perverting it to a wrong meaning. Yep, that happens. We can all do that. Every one of us in here can read a particular verse in the Bible, plucking it out of its context, not really understanding what it means, but applying it to the situation that we're in. That's a twisting of the scriptures. Now, the Lord understands our hearts when we're doing that. Sometimes we think we understand what that thing means. Five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, you go, you know, I was dead wrong about that. That's a time to repent. Perverting it to a wrong meaning or doubtful or equivocal expressions to, uh, or the equivocal expressions to the prejudice of truth or justice. In other words, you take something that can be meant more than one way and use that to get your way. When it isn't what it really was, but you have taken it and put it in a context. Politicians are masters of this. And some preachers are. <clears throat> Something that can be understood in more than one way it makes them very slippery. Very often when they want a particular pastoral position, I know this to be the case, in some denominations when somebody wants to be a pastor, one of the things that they'll do is when they're asked, now do you hold to this part of the confession that we hold or this doctrine of our doctrinal statement? And they will answer in a way that sounds like they're agreeing when they don't believe it. They do it in seminaries too, and there are seminarians that will tell you that. That's lying. Children can do that when they want their way with parents and they can say something that they know would work with their parents. And so they say it in a way that seems to be the right thing. It's a lie. It is twisting the truth or using something simply for your own advantage, which violates the purpose of Truth, truth, truth. All right, well, I'll rush to the end. <clears throat> Speaking untruth, we understand that. Lying, of course, we understand that. Slandering, backbiting, detracting. Yeah, 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 he's okay, but. You make it sound like. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could like him or like her or whatever a little bit, but then you slip in that but. Yeah. Detracting, tail-bearing, gossiping, whispering, scoffing, reviling, rash, harsh, and partial censuring, misconstructing intentions, words, and actions. Someone says, this is what I meant. No, no. I know what you meant. You meant this. Now, I'm not saying that every situation like that is like what we're describing, but I am saying that there are times when that happens, just like that. You twist what they're saying because you're already angry with them about something. And so you hear them say this, and oh, you've got a problem with that. You hear them say this, oh, I can't believe he's saying that now. I can't believe she's saying that like she's saying that now. I know better. Because you've already got them in your prison. You've locked them up. You've been judge and jury, and they're the bad guys. 
Satan wants division. And the best way he can do it generally is with tongues. Not speaking in tongues that we haven't learned. But twisting the truth or misunderstanding the truth. And that's, all, that's hard for all of us. Brethren, these, this is real life. Misconstructing intentions, words, and actions. Husbands and wives know sometimes you really mean to get things right, but your spouse is just not going to buy it. I know what you're up to. Oh, once again, it talks about flattering, vainglorious, boasting. <laughs> Do you understand what, why that's a lie? Because <laughs> you're not as wonderful as you think you are. You're not living in reality. You are twisting reality. I love it when the Lord shows you what you are. I hate it and I love it. My flesh always hates it because it's always the exposure of what I am. And I didn't think I had elevated myself that high, but he shows me what I've done. He loves you when he's doing that. Do you know that? And when you've got a friend that is truly your friend and truly loves you and can criticize you in a biblical and humble way, it never feels good, but it's always love. People that can't take criticism are overflowing with pride. Yes, I'm a sinner. Uh, what? What did you say about me? Yeah. Oh, you could think this thing about me, but not that. Now, I'm not talking about it when it's not true. I'm talking about when it is true. Okay. Thinking or speaking too highly or too meanly of ourselves or others. You know, I'm so wonderful or I'm so pathetic and nothing. Well, at that particular point, either one of them is lying. Denying the gifts and graces of God. Aggravating smaller faults. Hiding, excusing, or extenuating of sins when called to a free confession. Hiding sins, excusing sins. Or extenuating sins. Unnecessary discovery of infirmities. There are times, I, 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 I heard this. I believe that it's true. I hope that I'm not passing on a false report. Having listened to several, um, having read several passages about some revivals, and having some discussions over the years, this was brought to me by discussion. <clears throat> so, all I can say is I hope, thankfully there's no names involved, but there was a prayer meeting. They believed that revival was walking out, uh, was, was uh, breaking out in the congregation. There were people that were all, uh, you know, there were people going and confessing sin, breaking down and all that kind of stuff. And one of, one of, one man apparently stood up and said, I've, I, I need forgiveness. I, I, I repent of my sins. I've been lusting for the woman in the second row. 
Okay. Unnecessary information. All right. Um, That's the kind of thing, since it was in the heart, it should, the heart should just go to Christ. It doesn't have to go to everybody. If a sin is public, <clears throat> then it should be a public confession. But if it's something from the heart, keep that between you and the Lord. Unless it has so overwhelmed you that you go to a faithful friend and pray with that friend. But you don't need to do that kind of stuff. By taking those unusual steps, you can really do something that's harmful to truth. Raising false rumors, receiving and countenancing evil reports, stopping our ears against just defense. Someone's trying to tell you what actually happened. You won't listen. Evil suspicion. Boy, suspicion's a big one especially in congregations. Envying or grieving at the deserved credit of any. That's another one of those yeah buts. Oh yeah, they've got some ability, but just can't let them be higher than you somehow. Fond admiration, scornful contempt, rejoicing in their disgrace and infamy. Breach of lawful promises, neglecting such things as are of good report. All these have scriptural passages. You should take them and look them up. And practicing or not avoiding ourselves or not hindering what we can in others. Such things as procure an ill name. In other words, when we see somebody going off in the wrong direction, just going, eh, well, he'll wake up, he'll learn the hard way. There's a place for trying to be the roadblock. Because they're buying a lie. And you know what the truth is. Brother, sister, let me plead with you, don't go this way. If they go, well, then they've made their choice. But you have advocated the truth. Well, that's remarkable, is it not? Brethren, let me, let me finish by saying this. If we love one another, our hope for all things good is in the truth. Truth tellers. Truth tellers. We will do all we can to think truth, speak, defend, and spread truth. Is that you? Is that me? We must all ask ourselves, do we think truth, speak truth, defend truth, and spread the truth? For the Apostle John, truth is not simply conforming to fact or reality. The truth is God's word embodied in Jesus Christ and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. The word of God clearly reveals that there is no truth outside of God. So our walk with the Lord is going to measure how much truth we're walking in. Oh, my brethren, I've said this many times before, but 
When the truth is not in us, we are like Satan, the father of lies. John speaks directly to that. But God, it is, it, it, it's not enough to say that when the truth is not in us, we're not like God. The truth is that we're, we're like our father, Satan. Truth is God. God is truth. And Jesus, his blessed son, I summarize the rest of this simply by saying the scriptures speak of the father, speak of God as the God of truth. Jesus declared himself to be the truth. The, the spirit of God is called the spirit of truth. The Bible is called the word of truth. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. The gospel is truth. And the, and the church is called the pillar and ground of the truth. That's what ought to be coming out of this pulpit, no matter who stands here. It's the truth of God. God's truth faithfully handled and applied to our souls. So if there are so many ways to violate one commandment, how many ways might, might we be violating Christ's wonderful command to love? That's just one commandment. We're to love one another and not walk in darkness. So let us love one another in this new year as Christ has loved us with self-denying, self-sacrificing, others-oriented love, thoughts, words, and deeds in harmony with God's word. It will make healthier churches, healthier families, healthier individuals, and will, be, and will bring the greatest glory to God. He is the truth. When we walk in truth, it gives him all the glory. Love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. So my brothers and sisters and little children, love one another. Amen. Now, Father, we need thee. We need thee with all of our hearts. Help us now as we go to our homes. Let us think about thy truth. Let us think about thy glorious truth. May we live in it. May we defend it. And I pray that in this new year, everyone here, everyone that is a part of this congregation, that you would bless them greatly. That our love for thee and for one another would grow by leaps and bounds. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Amen. Let's go in the name of our Savior. <clears throat>